The Lord Almighty grant us a quiet night and peace at the last. Amen. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to herald your love in the morning, your truth at the close of the day. our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Holy and gracious God, I confess that I have sinned against you this day. Some of my sin I know, the thoughts and words and deeds of which I am ashamed, but some is known only to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask forgiveness. Deliver and restore me that I may rest in peace. By the mercy of God, we are redeemed by Christ Jesus, and in Him we are forgiven. We rest now in His peace and rise in the morning to serve Him. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so uh, Zechariah four is the Old Testament reading, and um, there's a guy that there's a guy in the reading named Zerubbabel, and he is. This is just uh, background, which will it'll come up in the sermon. This will be important in the sermon. He is the governor. He's the governor of Judea that's been appointed by the Babylonians. So Babylon's in charge of, no, actually, I'm sorry, Persia is in charge of Judea. They've sent, um, uh, they sent uh, many of the Jews back to uh, reopen Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Uh, Zerubbabel, he is a Jew. He's actually, he's not directly in the line of David, but he's a member of the extended royal family. And the Persians have put him as the governor. So that, we'll meet Zerubbabel there. Uh, and this is one of the visions of Zechariah. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who's awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lamp stand all of gold. This is a menorah. He, he's seeing in his vision a menorah from the temple. A lamp stand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it. 
with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two, so in addition to the menorah, he sees two trees. There are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bull and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone, some sort of capstone, some sort of architectural feature of the rebuilt temple. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Or uh, some of you will have versions that say like, uh, blessed, blessed be it, or something like that. It's actually one of the New Jerusalem Bible actually says, hurrah, hurrah. But um, this notion of uh, giving God thanks, it's, it's this notion of, you know, blessed be the capstone, God's done this. Uh, verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, the temple. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. I realize, too, that if you're reading that in the NIV, it's very, the Hebrew is very difficult here, so you might be reading something that's completely different than what I just said. It's very, the NIV says something like, uh, who will despise, uh, it's, it's a rhetorical question, who can despise the day of small things? Uh, uh, the seven eyes of the Lord will see the capstone being placed in and will rejoice or something like that. But the, the Hebrew is very difficult. Verse 11, then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Back to the trees. And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. And then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. An epistle reading from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well, if you could look at the Zechariah 4 text. <clears throat> Persia, you, you, we talked in the in past weeks. So Zechariah is one of the last books written in the Old Testament. Zachari- Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are. Haggai and Zechariah, Zechariah were contemporaries. Uh, Persia um, sends the, many of the Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, the temple walls. They're not, Persia's not too interested in the temple. They are interested in the walls of the city. And uh, you can read about that story in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, They get there, and in Ezra and Nehemiah, they start working on uh, rebuilding the temple. They're very excited about rebuilding the temple. Um, But it's not too long before political opposition stops them. Um, The Samaritans offer to help, are told by the Jews, uh, we don't think that you can help because you 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 aren't a member of our faith. Uh, they get angry and send off to uh, Babylon to say you should stop these people from rebuilding this temple, and the whole thing gets tied up in red tape for a long time. And also, it's hard work, and um, it's not they're, they're they're not having a lot of success. And for about two decades, the site sits kind of empty. Uh, you know, the the foundation has been relayed, but the site sits sits uh, basically kind of empty. Haggai comes along and about almost 20 years after that and starts preaching and saying, you guys need to rebuild this temple. Zechariah has these visions about four months after Haggai preaches the sermons that you can find if you read the book of Haggai. And basically, Zechariah, Zechariah is very different than Haggai. It's a lot of weird visions like the one we read here and the, one we've been, the ones we've been reading the past few weeks, you know, multicolored horses uh, running through the sky and stuff like that. But basically, Zechariah's message is the same as Haggai's, which is this is God's will to rebuild the temple, and so get working on it. This is, a, this is very important. God wants to come and live with us again, so uh, work on rebuilding the temple. And, um, and it works, too. About, about four or five years after Haggai, they, they, the people start working on the temple, and about four or five years after Haggai and Zechariah preach their two sermons and their two books, um, the temple gets rededicated. So uh, what can this tell us about uh, our Christian life and, and what it means to be a Christian and to live the Christian life, live, to, live the day-to-day life of the kingdom? Uh, Zechariah 4, there's a lot in here. I always say that, and it's always true. Um, can I just point out a few things to you? One is that the Christian life is uh, Christ-authored, and then uh, two, uh, the Christian life is Spirit-empowered. And then uh, the third thing is getting closer to where the rubber meets the road, uh, the Christian life can be painfully tedious. So it's Christ-authored and it's spirit-empowered, but it can be painfully tedious. Uh, which, And I'll, mention that, I'll talk about this when we get there. In no way means that it's not Christ-authored or spirit-empowered. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. This, this is kind of, I'm just up front with you. This is kind of the point of the sermon tonight, is that sometimes we assume that Christ-authored and spirit-empowered means brilliant success and uh, uh, quick victories, and actually uh, it frequently doesn't. So first of all, uh, Christ authored. This whole story, the whole story of Zechariah and this whole vision here is about uh, God's passion to live with his people. Um, God wants to live with his people. He wants to dwell with us. This is why he had a tabernacle or a temple built is because God wants to come here and live with us. and this, All the way through the Bible, this is the way it is. God does not invite humans to come and meet him up in heaven. 
God comes down here to live with us, whether it's the Garden of Eden or whether it's uh, Moses and the burning bush or whether it's uh, the first tabernacle or whether it's a Holy Communion in the New Testament. Uh, God comes here and lives with us. And of course, the, uh, the acme, the apex of this theme is when God actually does come and live with us, right? He, he, this is the Christmas stuff. God takes on human flesh so that he can come and be here with us. Um, the rebuilding of the temple in Zechariah is a lived out confession of faith that our God wants to live with us. Building the temple, the importance of building the temple in Zechariah is to live out the confession of faith that says we believe that God wants to dwell with us. That's the kind of God we have. He wants to live with us. He's not apart from us. He's not separate from us. He wants to live from us. He wants to live with us. And this is why in the New Testament, Jesus is the temple, right? I mean, they have to rebuild the, the, the temple in the Old Testament as this acted out belief that God wants to live with. You don't have to build a temple anymore because you already have the temple. You already have Jesus. You already have God dwelling with humans in the person of Jesus. So our salvation, it's so much of the Old Testament is about the temple, so much of the New Testament is about Jesus. This is not a coincidence. The whole Bible is about God wanting to live with us. Our faith, everything that we do as Christians should revolve around this fact that Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is also seen in verse 14, if you look down there. Um, so you have the temple stuff up in the, uh, in the center of that, Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple. But uh, look down in verse 14. Uh, the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord. So Zerubbabel, no, no, uh, Zachariah is his name. He says to the angel, what are these two trees next to the menorah candle? And uh, the angel says the two trees are the two anointed ones who uh, stand before the Lord, stand by the Lord. So who are the two anointed ones here? <laughs> it would probably be nice if we got a little bit more information, like proper names. Um, well, we don't know. It doesn't actually say, but uh, best guess, and it's just it's at the end of the day, it's just an educated guess, is that it's talking about Zerubbabel, who uh, we met today. And then Joshua. Do you remember Joshua from last time? For those of you who heard last week's sermon, Joshua is the high priest at the time. Zerubbabel is the governor. And there's this notion that what we need is an anointed one or ones to come here and be the perfect priest and the perfect ruler. Zerubbabel is the political ruler. And um, in, in the Jewish mindset, you know, a priest and kings can't be the same people, right? I mean, um, uh, kings come from Judah, that's the line, David's family, and priests come from Levi. It's not, it can't, you can't possibly have a priest and king in the Jewish worldview. And so in Zechariah's vision, he sees this, he sees multiple messiahs, uh, a priest and a king. Now, what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, you know what this has to do with Jesus, right? is that Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is our high priest, and he's also uh, the king. He's the king of God's kingdom. And so uh, what this text is ultimately about is the temple getting rebuilt by the power of the two trees, more on that in just a second, who are fueling the building of this temple. It's all about Jesus. Jesus powers the fueling of the temple. Jesus is the temple. Which, you know, it's, it, it begins with Jesus. It ends with Jesus, and Jesus is everything in between. Our, our Christian life should be, whatever your, whatever your life is, and it's all, we all have different lives, it should be about Jesus. Jesus should be at the beginning and at the center at the end. 
It's also spirit-empowered. Go back to verse uh, 14. Actually, look at verse 11. The two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand. A second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes? Now, that's new information. Golden pipes, which we didn't see up, uh, up in the first part of the reading. So picture this. Will you picture this with me in Zachariah's vision? You have the two olive trees, and you have golden pipes coming from the olive trees and going into the menorah. So the, uh, uh, from which the golden oil is poured out. He said to me, do you know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he says, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So the two anointed ones, the two, the two, the two, the two trees have been anointed, and olive trees, they're pumping out oil through these pipes into the menorah. It's just a vision, right? I mean, don't, you shouldn't take any of this literally, but there's a lesson to be learned here. In the New Testament, what is anointing? We don't get anointed with uh, oil anymore. Uh, anointing is uh, what the Holy Spirit does. When Jesus is anointed Messiah at his baptism, it's the Holy Spirit who comes down and announces, or comes down upon him, and then the Father announces from heaven, this is my beloved Son. In the book of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit who anoints the, the first uh, Jesus believers and empowers them uh, to be on mission. So n not only is our Christian life uh, Christ-authored, it's also uh, spirit-empowered. It's the Holy Spirit uh, who comes upon us. Now, in this, what does it mean? That's, that could be sort of vague religious talk, right? The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. What does it mean here? Go back up to verse uh, 6. Here's what it means specifically here. Being anointed by the Holy Spirit can mean a lot of different things, but here it means this. Verse 6, uh, um, then uh, the angel said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of, Lord of hosts. So, so first of all, the work that we do as in your Christian life has nothing to do with might or power. It, has, it really has nothing to do with you know, how successful you are or how strong you are or how good you are at whatever it is that you do. It has everything to do with being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not by might and not by power that, that God gets things done in the world, but by His Spirit. Right? So the, the, you and I, we, we always judge. We always will too, right? I mean, if you're going to bet on a horse race or on a football game or uh, whatever you, it is, you bet, you're going to bet on the strongest, the quickest, the, 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 the smartest, uh, the, the fastest thing. That's what you're going to bet on. It's just, that's just common sense. But actually, in God's kingdom, it doesn't work that way. It's always the foolish people that, um, that confound the wise people. It's always the weak people that God uses to get stuff done. And this, I'm not saying at all that, this, that you should intentionally you know, embrace whatever it is that you think of as, as weakness. It's, it's never an excuse for laziness, I'll say that. But it is a promise, and that's exactly what it is. It's a promise that God will do what he's going to do, and he will do it in spite of the weakness of people. Look at verse 7. Here's the promise. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, so Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, it's hard to say. Zerubbabel is kind of overseeing this construction project. And as the, the, the angel says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this mountain's going to be leveled. Zerubbabel is going to get this job done. Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. He says, okay, in the future, you're going to have a huge festival. Where's Zerubbabel? There's this big parade coming through town because they're going to put the capstone in that day. Some of you will remember, some of you who are around here will remember, uh, I, of course, don't because I'm younger than those of you who are what I call old in here. But some of you will remember uh, the, uh, the, the festivities surrounding the putting into place the last piece of the arch. 
Why is it? Well, it's, it's just another piece of metal like all the other pieces. Well, actually, no, the capstone, it's the final thing that says it's done. It's done. It's ready to go. And that's what he's saying. Someday you're going to have this festival where Zerubbabel leads the capstone in probably on a cart and leads the capstone in, and they put it into the temple and everybody will say, yes, it's done. In other words, what, what does it mean to be empowered by the Holy Spirit here? It's guaranteed. God is going to do what he's going to do. It's inevitable. You can't stop him. This is not up for grabs. It's not like God says, okay, you know, so-and-so, whoever, you know, fill, fill your name in the blank. So-and-so, I want you to live the Christian life. I'm rooting for you. You know, get out there and do it. You got some good resources. I gave you my Bible, gave you church, gave you Holy Communion. Let's see what, let's see what you do. I'm, I'm voting for you. No, no, I, God is actually going to accomplish it. He's not asking you to be mighty. He's not asking you to have strength. He's asking you to have the Holy Spirit, which he gives you and then says it's guaranteed. This temple is going to be rebuilt. So, uh, uh, yeah, let's move on to the third thing. So, uh, it's Christ-authored. Our Christian life is Christ-authored and Spirit-empowered, but that does not mean that it won't be painfully tedious. It's possible for me to end the sermon there and then paint a a picture uh, for you of glory and success and wonderful Christian decisions that you made and no failures and... You know, you, you walk past somebody at the grocery store and they like fall down their knees because they can sense the Holy Spirit emanating off of you and they confess their sins. And like the whole, like everybody's sort of like, everything's falling into place for you. Everything you touch is turning into religious gold. However, that's not the way it works. Zechariah is preaching this sermon because in their day to day life, they're not getting stuff done because it's just too hard. They're not, re- they're not rebuilding the temple. And he's telling them, God's going to do it, so get busy. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a slog. It doesn't mean it's going to be dramatic. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's going to be dramatic. It, it, it very well just could be the mundane and ordinary things of, you're going to need to cut some stone and put it together and build this temple. But don't think that that's not God working. Don't think that that's not God working. There's a, uh, this is the, I love this line here. Uh, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse, verse 9 is actually where it starts. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. When God does all this, you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. God's doing this so that you know he's a real God and that he's powerful and that he can do whatever he wants. Verse 10, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Don't lie to me and tell, so me too, don't lie to me and tell me that you don't despise the day of small things. That you don't get bored with all of this. That the sort of humdrum of everyday life is just mind-numbing to you sometimes. Tedious. It's worthy of being despised. And what, what the angel is saying to Zerubbabel through Zechariah here is don't despise the day of small things because the day of small things is how the kingdom gets built. I know the temptation is to think might and strength, which means the kingdom gets built. And sometimes you see that kind of stuff, right? I mean, we, we, we at St. James got a little bit of taste of that when it all started to come together and the Spirit started to work here in a real powerful way two years ago. But it's not always like that. And it's, some days it's just the humdrum of Christian life. But you don't, don't, don't act like that somehow lower level stuff or failure. God is using that to build his temple. God is using that to build his kingdom. 
you know, whether, whether it's, you know, pumping gas into your car or, or folding that, you know, the, the, the 16th pair of socks in the morning or, you know, returning another phone call at work to somebody who you really aren't that interested in talking to, not that you don't like them, but it's just getting kind of monotonous talking on the phone. No matter what it is, you know, one more, one more car ride in rush hour traffic, whatever it is, it's the small things that God is using to build his kingdom. Don't be surprised. Don't, don't think of it as failure. Think of it as incredibly important stuff. There's this great, great line. So I, I, some of you know, I've been reading uh, Lord of the Rings with uh, Kate and Reeve, and we're in the first book. And there's this wise character in the first book named Elrond, who, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, he's talking to them about kind of the wisdom of sending. They have this team of warriors that can do this incredibly important task, extremely dangerous task that they've been called to do. And instead, who gets chosen to do it is four hobbits who are they're halflings. They're small, tiny creatures and not very weak at all. They're not gifted at all in military things. They're more interested in writing poetry and gardening and things like that. So there's this big discussion about is this wise to send basically four adult children-sized people into the most dangerous uh, mission anybody's ever gone on. And Elrond says this. He says, uh, <clears throat> he says, the road is going to have to be trod. The road must be trod. This task has to get done. The road must be trod, but it will be very hard. And neither, sh- and neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon it. And if we as Christians can get to the point where we see that what we need here at St. James or in your day-to-day at school or at work or at home is not strength or wisdom, but just the mundane life of living in the Holy Spirit. That that's actually what's going to get the job done. The more empowered, the more liberated we will be to be on mission. The more out of our own way we will be. It says this, let me say it again. The road must be trod, but it would be very hard, and neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon it. Yet, such is often the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. Small hands do them because they must while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. While the great are messing around with politics and making money and being in charge of people and building big buildings and writing incredibly attractive songs and painting fancy paintings, it's your hands, it's your small hands that are doing the great deeds, that are actually turning the wheels of the kingdom. The day of small things, don't despise them. That's what God has chosen to do his kingdom in this world. Let's pray. Stand with me, will you? Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. In righteousness I shall see you. When I awake, your presence will give me joy. Be present, merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of life may find our rest in you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Trusting, taught, taught by our Lord and trusting His promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
the Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you and keep you. Amen. Hey.